Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I could not be more pleased to be joined today by Henry Timms, the CEO of the 92nd Street Y. Henry, thanks so much for taking the time. It's a real pleasure. Uh, I got in touch with uh, you uh, to ask to talk a little bit about the history of Giving Tuesday in particular, but in the process of that, found out a lot more about a new effort to share some of the concepts that are really behind Giving Tuesday through this book, New Power. But before we jump into any of those topics, could you just uh, tell people a little bit about uh, who you are and what the work of the 92nd Street Y is? Sure. So I'm the uh, CEO of the 92nd Street Y, and we're a... 144-year-old Jewish cultural and community center serving people of all backgrounds. And and we do everything here. If you haven't been to 92nd Street Y before, it's very hard to kind of imagine an organization like it. And there really aren't many like it in the world. So we do everything under under one roof from uh, health and wellness to poetry to Pilates to philosophy to a very famous kind of reading and literature series through to thinking about family life and how you cherish it. So that the goal of the 92nd Street Y in, 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 it, 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 it has a lot of jobs. We do a lot of things here. But at its core, it will help people live more complete, more full, more joyful lives. And so my job is to oversee that and to think, and to think a lot about the future of our organization and, and where we should be heading next. So a, a big mission and lots of good work to do. Uh, big missions and lots of good work often translate into a need for resources. So <laughs> many charities that I work with are always thinking, how do we reach more people? How do we have more engagement? How do we have different conversations about that? Um, and this whole podcast is sort of focused on the idea of how is that changing? Because I think how we funded some of that work in the 20th century is very different from what it looks like moving forward. So if I could kind of jump us ahead a little bit to just talk Talk a little bit about the creation and evolution of Giving Tuesday. Um, and I think most people listening to this will be familiar with it, but if you could just kind of begin the conversation with uh, what is Giving Tuesday? Yeah, so one of the things, if you think about, and I think you're framing this in the way, certainly the way we think about this, is it's really about reimagining the model of an institution. So if you think about the 92nd Street Y, essentially we're a community center. And for 135 years, we, we really had one viable model, which is people could walk through our doors and we could provide them with things. So we could have classes or we could have events or we could run workshops or we could you know, have a gym. Now, what changed with the advent of new technology wasn't simply we could now broadcast all those things on social media, but actually what changed is we now could reimagine the model of the institution and we could start saying from first principles, how do you think about building community in a world where you now have all of these tools that allow us to connect at this extraordinary speed and, and, and scale and spread around the world? So that, that's been the inquiry of our institution for the last five years, I guess. We've been thinking a lot about kind of what are the new models for the 92nd Street Y? And Giving Tuesday is, is the best known example of actually a, a whole range of projects, all of which were about starting from a white piece of paper and saying, what, what might the model of our institution look like in this world? And, and, and so that was an easy, it was kind of an easy idea, which was you have Black Friday, which is this day of, of commercialism. You have Cyber Monday, which is this day of on, online consumption. What about Giving Tuesday? What about a day uh, which reverses the trend and is rather than about getting things, is about giving to others? And that was a simple idea that, that was behind Giving Tuesday. And, and that was six years ago and and you know the rest uh, the rest is is history 
Well, the rest is at a very interesting sort of hockey stick graph, I think. I, I think that we're at the beginning of the history of this. And as we look at the adoption curve kind of running up, as more people understand this idea of uh, collaborative philanthropy and collective impact across small individual donors. And that's what's so exciting to me about the Giving Tuesday model, that uh, the the idea isn't just, you know, we, we go to our existing donor base and ask everybody to give on a single day, but rather we're asking all of the disparate communities that could possibly be considered as donors or givers or volunteers of community to come together and share with each other how are you giving? Why are you giving? Whom are you giving to? Uh, and let us aggregate that story. And and that you know wasn't really done in in the scale and size before. And it's really starting to take off in the last few years, in particular, as more people become aware of that kind of core central tenet of sharing that experience towards the idea of increasing impact. Yeah, I think that's. I look. I think you've expressed very well what what we were trying to achieve with Giving Tuesday. And and one of the interesting things you think about the you think about donors now there's good data on this now which shows that you know that the ten dollar donation becomes so much more valuable if it's a donation which is then shared via social media becomes even more valuable if you make a movie about it <laughs> um, <laughs> so you, you reach a point where the, the the there's this transaction that we're looking for from our donors which is so much more than just their money it, it's also their agency and right. that's what and that's what Giving Tuesday is trying to connect with. That is what my work on New Power is, is driven by as well, which is this idea of how do you um, get people doing things which give them more agency and more belonging? And that, that was the frame for Giving Tuesday. And I think for what it's worth, the, the story of Giving Tuesday is one of the creativity and entrepreneurialism of our sector. Yes. So, like, you know, we, we kicked it off, but we, we kind of, Giving Tuesday was open source, right? We threw it out there. We said, here's this thing. It's going to be called Giving Tuesday. Everyone got what that was. We, we were very intentional not to be prescriptive about that, right? It was never like you have to do one of the following three things for Giving Tuesday. We were very intentional not to centralize it. You know, this wasn't like, hey, it's Giving Tuesday. Everyone register for our central database and we'll be the fund collector for all the money, right? We never, we never did that. And I think that that you know it was designed to to be much freer, and in that and in that space, we saw two things happen, which we should, I think we should celebrate. The first is we saw the kind of the creativity of small and medium-sized nonprofits everywhere and finding interesting ways to engage with Giving Tuesday. And the second, you know, Giving Tuesday, we we really do express our values as a sector. You know, the rest. Look, I raise money in New York City. I understand competitive. I understand competitive fundraising. Right? I understand that this isn't like uh, we can't. Um, sing kumbaya all, all of the time <laughs> but i do think once in a while to, to to recognize just as the corporate world right who are who are as fiercely competitive as we are just as they can recognize that black friday or cyber monday might be a tie that raises all ships um it might it might be the same too for giving tuesday so that that was the the theory behind it and i think it's a testimony to the strength of our sector and and it's honestly a testimony to a, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are the people who will have thought about giving tuesday will have will have built from it will have done something new one of the most extraordinary statistics i i, I learned recently about giving tuesday was that 75 percent of organizations taking part have tried something new with giving tuesday so if you wanted to just say simply as a, a catalyst for innovation uh giving tuesday is encouraging you know now tens of thousands of organizations to experiment and i think that alone is very positive 
And I want to go back to the idea that you um, mentioned about sort of open sourcing the idea of however people want to give, we want to be able to aggregate that information and share it together. Uh, I'm um, based out of uh, Minnesota. We have um, a, a um, fairly large uh, statewide giving day um, that is sponsored by an organization called GiveMN. Um, but it has in the past been this idea of give centrally so that we can collect the data and tell the story. So everybody come into this one portal, which of course, subsequently over the years has, you know, crashed under the weight of people trying to give and, and had all sorts of other challenges. But the biggest problem that I've expressed to them and, and had conversations on this podcast about is um, it doesn't give the charities the choice to say, well, I want to engage my audience this way over here, not your way over there. And we need to talk with people wherever they want to talk with us. So instead of trying to force everybody into a single portal or a single place or a single methodology, we need to figure out the problem of how do we collect impact data from lots and lots and lots of different places. And that's not a small problem to solve. I mean, you started out with some of the big processors, but you've been gaining more momentum and asking other people to contribute data to be able to show that collaborative impact. And that's, you know, a little bit of a herding cat problem, right? Yeah, but they're, they're, they're quite willing cats. <laughs> The the thing, and I, and I can say this having not, I really the, the, this whole strategy has been spearheaded by Asha Curran, who who runs Giving Tuesday and heads our innovation centre at the Y, and and I guess a couple of years ago she really started pushing the movement hard towards data collaboration, and what ended up happening is now there's this kind of collaboratorial, all of these different platforms and organisations who are sharing their data together, so the federated data of Giving Tuesday is all brought together and then scrubbed and anonymized so as then we can learn things about the whole sector and I think that's such an important like again when we started Giving Tuesday no one was thinking we'd become like a essentially like a data concierge for the sector to find mm -hmm. out what power friends emerge but I was I was remember I was at an event there they invited me to um, at Facebook in New York uh, which was a dive with 150 data scientists uh, who had been donated all data which meant by the platforms and these organizations choose had this huge data set and there's some really interesting things we were learning from it and we we then worked with data foundation about 150 data scientists spending a week and digging into all this donated data Help what motivates in America. You just think about the, the amount of collaboration and creative and, uh, and and learning that's coming out of that, which is nothing to do at all with you know. There's day after Black Friday and the Cyber Monday where you give. It's much more to do with actually how we start thinking in, the, in a systemic way about the sector. So I, from that perspective, I think Giving Tuesday is just getting warmed up, and I think it's, it's right. great to see. The one thing I would say about things like Give Give MN is like I think. There's no one way to do these things, and I think as a sector, like I certainly admired a lot of the statewide campaigns and the citywide campaigns for just telling such powerful stories about regions and about place and about location. So I think I would be cautious to be too prescriptive about like the one way of doing this. I think we, we as a sector, um, we flourish when we have diversity of approach.
I think a lot has been learned. I absolutely agree from uh, different ways of doing it and having um, these community-based giving days. And of course, you know, give them in as a state one is just one example. There are many, many out there um, that try to focus on a geography. Uh, and I think that the idea of uh, Giving Tuesday focusing more on a uh, an opportunity to get people to reflect on a, a time of year uh, one, you know, traditionally they've been a little bit more inwardly focused of how do I, you know, buy a nice gift for my family? How do I make sure, you know, that, that my friends are, are recognized to take that message instead of saying geographically, everybody in Minnesota, everybody in Austin, Texas, everybody in Silicon Valley, you know, give, um, but rather everyone who has the opportunity to celebrate generosity in their lives, you know, with gifts to people, let's think about how we communicate that outwardly as well to people that maybe we don't have a direct relationship with yet, but we could build. So much of that is so fascinating to talk about the idea of aggregating, but right as we're recording this, we're just not very far away from the whole um, Cambridge Analytica scandal and people feeling like, well, wait a minute, is this anonymized aggregation? Is this something that you know people can sort of backtrack into and um, and learn something about specific donors? And I don't see, from what I understand about how the aggregation works, that that could be possible here. But let's just kind of quickly address that and move on to the bigger problem of uh, you know is, is there a way that that people have expressed any concern about um, giving up their institutional data towards this greater good problem? Yeah, I think, I think people are very careful about that. I mean, you know, data data is precious, and actually, for what it's worth, I think the the nonprofit sector um, and a number of the processing platforms have actually been incredibly careful. Yeah, her about this, but for a good reason, which is two good reasons, right? One is that it's their business imperative; they 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 need to be very careful of people's data, and two, people want to do the right thing. People are in this sector for a reason, so I think one of the we mustn't get spooked away from data in general, right? The bigger danger here isn't that at some point, you know, a nonprofit gets the wrong side of some data issues. That is bound to happen. It happens all the time, right? There's no, there's no version of the world where that doesn't take place. The bigger danger is uh, nonprofits don't embrace a more data-driven world because they're nervous of, of treading on some toes or getting into the wrong place by that. And that holds us back because, look, what, they, what, for what Cambridge Analytica and Facebook show us is, those people who understand this stuff best are going to come out on top. So we, hmm. we mustn't be scared away from data, but we must be responsible stewards of it as well. And, and we should think of data as a resource as we do our human capital or our financial capital. It's something we should tend to, we should look after, we should feel thoughtful about governance. Um, but, but I don't think we should, we, should, we should avoid the idea of packing ourselves to become Luddites. Agreed. And I, yeah, I, I think one of the things that we're learning in that kind of hockey stick size graph of uh, what Giving Tuesday is helping us to analyze is, first of all, if we look at um, other data sets about how much individual giving is happening across the world, um, I mean, even just looking at the United States data, um, the $300 million plus raised in that single day is actually a relatively small fraction of the total amount of individual donations that are happening. We're, we're learning a little bit about a set of data, but there is um, so much more out there that um, any individual charity may feel like I, I can't raise money from you know small donor pools. There's just not enough of them. I need to go to big institutional donors. I need to go to um, the the large scale philanthropists. I you know th this is how I'm going to be successful. Um, but I think the data belies that. Uh, I, I think even smaller organizations can be much more successful. But it does rely on them turning over some measure of control. And now we're getting into the new power conversation. 
um, to their supporters and to potential supporters to engage in a conversation with them and not just be an audience in a conversation about them. And, and that is one of the things that that Giving Tuesday has really helped launch out, you know, a, more than a million social messages the last time around, billions of Twitter impressions of people talking about why they give, why it's important for them to participate. Um, and having the, that that um, switch in emphasis of not, here's what the charity wants me to know, but rather here's what I want to tell you about why it's important to me is a different dynamic that is spurring more people to think about giving. I think that's right. And, and you know, the way, the way we often think about that is this shift from donors to owners. So we used to think about people as donors, right? Their job was to give us money. Our job was to solve problems. Yeah. We now need to think about people as owners, which is they, they need to co-own our causes. They need to be, be in there with us to engage in it. And, that, and that, that's really because a new generation expects it, right? If, our, if we're still reaching to a set of tactics where it's the annual letter which says, Dear Mr. X, thank you for your important support of 92nd Street Y. Without your ongoing efforts, we would never be able to serve people in all five boroughs, blah, 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 blah. If we're still, you know, reaching for those tools in a world where people are expecting these much more kind of highly participatory, validated, peer-based relationships, we're going to get nowhere. So I do agree with that. I think we have to think a lot more about agency and how we build agency around the causes that matter. And for what it's worth, I think one of the things around Giving Tuesday is it's, it's essentially not a day of giving as much as it is a day of community. Mm. And what, what I mean by that is it's, it, Giving Tuesday isn't, you know, two million individual transactions which have nothing to do with anybody else. Giving Tuesday is countless transactions which are tied to other people and causes that people share. So you see very local things taking place. You see kind of very sectoral things taking place. You see Giving Tuesday becoming Giving Shoes Day where people give shoes to women. Going, again, that what Giving Tuesday is doing isn't just encouraging giving, but strengthening communal bonds. And I think that's one of the key things, one of the key insights for the sector is, what are those moments where we're providing the two things that humans have wanted forever, but people want even more in this hyper-connected world, which is agency and belonging, right? How do you give people more agency and more belonging? And your annual letter asking people to be a silver level donor just isn't gonna do either. Right. And that, I think, is such a great um, transition to um, the idea that you're, you're now expressing um, with your co-author in a new book about um, new power. And I don't know if Giving Tuesday came first or the concept for the book came first. Uh, how, how did that evolve into you know, what has now become uh, a newly available printed work? So I think things kind of fit together. I mean, I think I've always tried to think about my work as a, a, a practitioner first. Right, I think uh, that the United States Street Wise, we have 1,800 staff, it's a $60 million organization, like we're a large nonprofit. We do lots of things. So I, I, I always am doing this kind of work, and, and we, we wrote the book uh, with my, my, my friend Jeremy Hymans, who's a movement builder. We wrote, so like the, the, you know, the, what you're talking about in your podcast, right? what we all feel in the sector, everyone gets this idea that something different is changing. And that something different is much more than we finally need to work out what to do about Snapchat. And what's really going on is there's this real shift in power. And you've outlined it earlier, which is the old power world was very kind of top down and, and command and control and managerial and everyone believed in confidentiality and it was very leader driven. And that's being challenged by this rise of a new power world. And in the new power world, you know, power is made by many it's distributed. It's much more peer driven. It flows much more like a current 
much more kind of um, it's much more kind of kinetic the way that those things happen and and that shift the shift from old power to new power is is giving tuesday itself is a good example of that right you think about giving tuesday it's made by many it's co-owned it's distributed it flows like a current no one really owns it we, we shape it but we own it um those kinds of dynamics are taking place across our world whether it's in politics you think about the new power of obama or trump and how they got elected or in social movements, you think about the new power of, of, of Me Too or Never Again, or the platforms like Facebook or Uber who have managed to, to capture so much of this new power. And what all of the examples I've just listed share is they have this ability to harness the energy of the connected crowd. And I think that really is the essential skill of the 21st century, right? This ability to harness the energy of the connected crowd. And if you think about your own nonprofit, are you able to harness the energy of the connected crowd? or are you essentially still shouting at people? And a lot of organizations are still shouting at people, right? Our version of our world is we kind of broadcast things out of the world, but we don't create a space for other people to share our mission and our vision. And I think that's kind of the key skill. We had yesterday, the, there, was a, there was a meeting yesterday in Kazakhstan of the first Giving Tuesday meeting in Kazakhstan, and they got together a group of non-profits who are very similar, kind of the peers of the, of the people listening to this podcast, got together into Kazakhstan to talk about their sector and how they might turn Giving Tuesday and something that strengthens the sector overall. And, you know, we had no, I mean, they told us about it, because we were connected, all the leaders of the global campaigns are connected by a WhatsApp group. So we knew it was going on. But we had no control over that. We had no, um, not on our payroll. We, we, we know who they are. But we know that they're credible people, but that's about it. And it's so interesting when you start thinking in new power ways that you can actually get outcomes you would never have got in the old power world. You know, you think about the old power approach to Giving Tuesday would have been, We'll call it the 92nd Street Wise Giving Tuesday. We'll say to people, you have to do the following three things. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll charge everybody to take part. And it would have scaled, you know, three blocks north and three blocks south. It would have gone nowhere. It, it was the fact that we took our brand off Giving Tuesday. We, we never made it about the 92nd Street Y. It was never about us as an institution. It was always about the sector. And it was only because of that, which I would classify as kind of a new power approach, that we were able to get to the scale we've got to so far. So you use the word harness, uh, and I, I'm uh, glad that you, we have this moment to kind of poke a little at the idea of um, something that is as decentralized and, and kind of individual uh, constituent driven being shaped a little bit, or at least you're riding a wave in a specific direction. And, and that's a little counterintuitive, and I'm wondering if you can just explore that a little bit, that understanding that um, distributed power is a different thing from centralized power, but it doesn't mean that you can't be in there trying to um, turn a tide or, or be one of several organizations trying to turn a tide so that, that that large movement kind of begins to shift a little bit. It doesn't mean you can command it to do so, but you can be part of shaping it. And that's a, um, a, a trickier, newer thing, I think, to think about if we recognize that the, the true nature of all of this power is going to be much more distributed. That doesn't mean that we have no ability to be part of it. I think that's a very good point. And actually, I think one of the dangers with this is people often get stuck with this kind of lazy binary, which is we're either completely in control or it's complete anarchy, right? There's, there are two outcomes for our organization. If we control everything or, or if we don't control everything, everything's going to go to pieces. You know, the first, the first question I always get asked about Giving Tuesday anytime I'm talking about it is about risk. And no matter where I am, it's always in, in front of nonprofit audiences. The, the first question is always, what are the risks of someone doing something bad with this because you didn't control it? And 
there's a reason we always get asked that question first is that the old power mindset in our heads is in the, in the sector in particular is we mustn't you know we, we mustn't do anything which which engenders any kind of uh, risk or any kind of danger mm. and, and the truth of it is what the book is about is the book says look there is a set of skills you can learn that lands you between having complete control and having complete chaos actually structuring for participation is a really important idea like with giving tuesday and i'm using it as an example just because it's well known to the to this audience i think with giving tuesday it wasn't like we just said let's be anarchic we were very thoughtful i think about how we were structuring for participation about how we encouraged local groups about how we built networks of the leaders of, of community campaigns about how we built networks of leaders of global campaigns like we did lots of things that allowed us to influence the movement and its direction none of those things were about us controlling it all of those things were about us strengthening it and i think that's one of the the, the skills of movement building it's one of the new power skills is to work out not how to give up control but how to think differently about control and control doesn't mean you hoard everything it doesn't mean you keep everything behind closed doors it does mean that you create meaningful bonds with people so that you end up um, doing what i really see as kind of the key goal of our work here at the 92nd street y and i wonder whether other organizations would feel the same about their work which is our, our job is to create ways for people to create really bring their sense of agency to our mission so we're trying to create a space where people can bring their agency in the boundaries of our mission i think that's a really important idea which is not the same thing as us kind of downloading programs onto the world we're saying we're creating this broad context where other people can grab something and then make it meaningful to them locally i'll give you another example of something i think is very cool which, which the team is working on now which is called the ben franklin circles so ben franklin used to have this weekly club where he'd get together and they'd talk about how to improve themselves and how to improve the world and he had it throughout his whole life and we brought this back after hundreds of years uh, in abeyance and people around the country, we, we, we again, we open sourced it. We created a set of tools that any, anyone could use. We created a closed Facebook group of leaders of these different um, Ben Franklin circles. And people all around the country have grabbed this idea and they, they've started getting people together, some once a week, some once a month, uh, to talk about the values, the virtues of our time and what they mean. So they're talking about things like silence and integrity and tolerance and what these kind of classic virtues mean in a digital age. And what's so interesting about Ben Franklin is it's not a franchise, it's a movement. What I mean by that is it's the, there are 170 of these groups going now already across the US. None of them are the same. They all do different things depending on where they are in the country. So there's one group of uh, there's one group in Detroit of a group of men who, uh, who are heading back into housing, having previously been homeless, who are using the Ben Franklin circle model to think about some of the journeys they're going on in their lives. There are groups of seniors doing it with groups of teenagers. There was a lady who we learned about recently who was had never met her neighbors. She'd lived in mm -hmm. this neighborhood for 10 years, and she learned about the Ben Franklin circles, and she, she made a flyer and handed it around saying, look, I've heard about this thing. It's really cool. Why don't you come to my house on Sunday, and we'll all have a Ben Franklin circle. And there are now three of those circles going in her community, and all of her neighbors are getting to know each other. And so what, what's so interesting about a project like that, which I would think about as a new power project, is it's a new power project because we've designed it to be distributed. We've left enough space in its design that other people can add their own flourish and make it a stronger project. And we've connected everybody in a way which I hope is thoughtful. So all of the leaders of all of these groups are connected by one closed Facebook group. And if you think about what the 92nd Street Y is trying to do, 
if you buy my central argument that what we're trying to do is create create community uh, and, and 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 build the, the kind of Jewish and American values in thoughtful ways. If that's your mission, and that's now happening in 170 places around the country, and none of those people are on your payroll, that's a very good day in the office. You know, <laughs> I, I think that I think that project. I think we'll get to a thousand. I think there'll be a thousand of those going within the next two years. Um, and I think that kind of project, that kind of work, these 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 new approaches, these new power models, are really helping us meet our mission in in a way we never could have done if we'd hung on to our old power mindset. So let me ask you to go back on that idea of um, using Giving Tuesday as a, an example of sort of the financial support question and how people choose to participate and share there. But these ideas of uh, new power models about um, the the work of a mission of an organization, um, it is possible in these scenarios, as we talk about uh, um, really working with a distributed power model, uh, that the the broader community answer may be, you know, the way you've been doing it isn't actually very good. Um, and we have these other ideas that we think would be better, um, maybe even a whole other organization that does them better or whatnot. And if we are getting away from the old power model, there are going to be some nonprofits that have kicked and screamed to stay alive because the people that run them want to keep doing the work and being in charge and having the title and getting paid. Um, and it's not that they're bad people, but they are very very committed to sort of their organization's survival, not the mission thriving. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's all the same thing and it's well and good, but there are other times when it could be that there's a completely new way to solve that problem that supplants the need for that specific business model. And maybe a charity should be ready to think, do we merge, shift, become something different, let another organization lead and let us fade back. If we can show that the mission work is expanding, if the mission is happening, shouldn't we be ready to get back into the shadows a little? And that's a, a very distributed uh, new power way of thinking about the whole thing, but it's also sort of non-traditional for most of the charities I've worked with. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I think it's right. And I don't think it's easy. Right. I think, I think a lot of people, you know, if, if you're, you've been doing work in the same way for three decades and you've been very successful and you're the CEO of an organization now, and you've got maybe 10 years left before you retire. The, the idea that that's the point in your career that you're going to completely shift the way you think about how you actually is really asking a lot of people, right? That's not is. I mean, I say that with, with genuine sympathy. Like, I don't. I think that's very tough for people because actually, the kind of incremental, um, steady as she goes approach probably isn't going to work. But, but I don't. I don't. I don't think that um, that that's the norm for what it's worth. I think we see lots of people in the sector who are thinking very differently about how they shift their models and, and are being quite courageous around that. And I think that. I think that's really. I think that's that's where we're going to be heading next. And I think anyone who who has more than a you know three year plan ahead of them needs to get their head around these new power skills and what they mean because the there's no way of putting this back in its box, right? The future the future is going to be this battle for mobilization. Whoever mobilizes best is going to win. And no, no matter how righteous your cause is or how proven your case is, if if you can't mobilize people around those things, if you can't give people agency around your mission, then it'd be very hard for you to come out on top and it'd be very hard for you to keep thriving. And I think that's, that's, you know, I think that's, that's the, the stakes at hand here are actually very high. The one thing I would say for, for what it's worth and, and not because I think I have the answer here, but, 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 but because I think we did, we approached this in the right way. We got into a lot of these things without any sense of how the revenue was going to work. So with giving yeah. Tuesday with Ben Franklin, all of the innovation stuff we've done, essentially we went into it as a lost leader which is like, we've got to try some stuff. Let's see what, let's see what, what works. We, you know, if, 
And if we had charged the teams running all those projects, which was like, you know, you have to prove return on investment within three months, <laughs> none of them would have got off the ground. And I think the lesson, the lesson I've learned from this, uh, uh, well, maybe I haven't learned it because I haven't lived up to it enough. The thing I think about a lot is every time we've made big bets on experimentation and creativity of our staff, every time it's paid back in spades. I've never known how it's going to pay back, but every time we've been prepared to make that bet, we've won. And and I and I think I should be making that bet more often. And like and I'm I'm incentivized to do this kind of innovation because you know our board loves it and we've developed a reputation for it. And it's much easier. And when I began this work, like it wasn't it wasn't what we were known for, so it was much harder. It's much easier now. And even with the incentives that I enjoy right now, I don't feel I'm doing enough to to push us to, to go further in this direction because the day job gets in the way, right? And 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 that's a good thing, right? There are lots of important things we do every day. But if I'm if I'm really doing my job as CEO, I think I'm probably trying to think five years, ten years out, and 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 I, I worry that sometimes I don't do quite enough of that. And I guess that's one of the challenges to all of my colleagues listening to your podcast. We all we all struggle with that, right? Which is what's the balance between the the, the, the you know the thing which is on fire today, and and where we're going for the next five years. And and I hope the book is a contribution towards thinking through some of those questions and and not pretending any of them are easy. Right. So moving that, that how the distributed power model may shift mission work in the future and, and be ready to be open to that against the, you know, but today I really am meeting with that donor that has yeah. been a strong supporter. Absolutely. You still meet with the donor that's been a strong supporter, but maybe that conversation is a little bit more about um, them as a participatory part in the mission delivery and not just that, boy, thanks for that check. Now I got to go do some work kind of conversation. I think that's right. I don't think there's any currency for nonprofits which is which is more valuable than relevance. Yeah. Right. Because I think like we 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 often do well on righteous. We, you know, we know our cause is important. We know it's good. We know it's important. And then people just aren't quite convinced we're relevant. People aren't quite convinced that we're changing as much as the world is. And so I think if you imagine that donor meeting, and look, I'm going to have some of those donor meetings today. I think there's just a different there's a different way of talking about the work that we do. And so if if the version of that is look, we've we've got this uh, we've got this new model to do this not just here on the Lex, but we can do it in states across the country, or we can do it in 50, 50 countries around the world. People get very excited about that. I don't I don't think any of us need to reimagine our missions, reimagine our models. Yeah. That's what the shift here is. Like, the missions are pretty good, right? If you know like our, our we know just what it is. We do participation. We believe in Jewish families. We believe in health and literature. Like we know what that mission model that, that we've had for a long time is, is changed. We used to just execute all of those things through a big building on 92nd and Lex. We can do some of those things now on Instagram. So I think I, I can hear the eye rolls of my colleagues through the airwaves uh, with a comment like that. And look, I do get the idea that, that, that you know, there are lots of meaningless things happening on technology every day, but there are also lots of meaningful things happening every day on technology. We need to get to a point, I think, where we get away from this idea that the only kind of meaningful experiences are face-to-face -face and inhuman and recognize that every day lots of people are having profound experiences of one kind on the internet. But many of them are also sharing pointless cat videos. Like there, there is a, <laughs> there's a, there's a ratio here. But, but one of our jobs, I certainly think, is, as we think about the 90 Second Street Y, one of our jobs, if we have this set of values and beliefs, then they matter everywhere. They don't just matter inside a building. And if people are spending, you know, 50 minutes a day on Facebook, surely we should be trying to get one minute market share for ourselves.
surely the values that we care about, we ought to be trying to enter that market. So as we think about the world, we're thinking, I think, quite carefully about the, the right kind of models to execute our mission for a new generation. And the, the argument of history simply isn't enough. And I think that's a real trap for a lot of nonprofits is because we've done it this way for a long time, we get very proud of our histories and we therefore assume that our model ought to stay the same forever. And I don't think it should. I think very often people's models should be prepared to change. I think it's very rare you should change your mission, right? The mission should be steadfast, but the model should be abandoned. We should all be prepared to abandon our model if something better comes along. A really great idea to talk about that um, leaping from the history, which is another way of saying um, a deeper connection with that distributed group out there. If, if they know of you and the work you've done and, and the history that you have, um, they have opportunities to you know participate with you differently from somebody that they don't have any social capital with. So this, this new power conversation with an, an established historic organization, if it's willing to shift the model, I think you're, you're leaps and bounds ahead of the brand new organization that uh, is trying to kind of collectively form itself around a need that this this history gives you an advantage but it you know if you're willing to shift that model as you said i think that's a really important point well i also think it's not our job to be famous like one of the things and and again i i don't think i think about giving tuesday or i think about the ben Frank, franklin project or, or or any of the other projects like this we've done these kind of new power projects most of them, the people involved, have no idea who the 92nd Street Y is. And, and I don't think it matters. Like, I don't think our job, like, there's nothing in our mission statement which says, our job is to bolster civic participation, brackets, and make sure we get credit for it, close brackets. <laughs> right? that, that isn't what our mission says. Our mission says is to bolster civic participation. And so as long as we do that in, in a thoughtful way, then I think it's fine that, that, that no one gives us credit or knows that we're involved we're not we know we don't, we don't hide that fact like we, we know it's on it's on the websites but i think a lot of our constituents a lot of people in, are involved a lot of people have a very deep connection with our mission and no connection at all with our brand and i think that's just fine um because again i think one of the dangers in our sector is we spend too much time tending to our brand over our mission and look again i'm a realist about this like brand matters like we have to be distinct sometimes but we don't have to be distinct all the time and i, and I certainly think and I'm looking back at my own career. I've spent too much time thinking about logo size <laughs> and like, and you know, making sure we get credit and like who's speaking first and like all of those things, which are natural, they're natural things for us all to think about. But the, the, the most meaningful work that I've been involved in is the stuff that our, our role has been at the sidelines, not the center. We're, we're starting to run a little low on time and I want to make sure we get back to the idea um, about the book and we'll we'll make sure before we leave here to um, have people get a sense of where they can learn more about it. But um, if you go to thisisnewpower.com, uh, one of the options is to kind of uh, take a little bit of a test of where are you now? What are you thinking about these ideas? Um, and when I went through that process and, and looked, it kind of gave me this really interesting um, quadrant view of... Uh, new power models and old power models versus old power values and new power values. And I think that that distinction is a really important one that we could maybe tip the hat a little bit on, uh, on the book. You'll get more in the book about this, but um, as we're getting ready to wrap this conversation, um, you've got some great examples of people that are using um, new power uh, tactics and models that are not necessarily, um, you know, people that have adopted the, the, the value system that is underlying these new power models. Right. So I think this is the, there, there, are, there are lots of leaders now who have worked out how to channel new power. 
from a technical perspective. But often the values they have themselves aren't new power values. So let's let's look at Mark Zuckerberg. You know, he's he's worked out how to channel the agency of the crowd better than anybody. You know, Facebook is the most amazing new power machine we've ever seen. But actually, the way he tends to approach the world is quite an old power way, right? He tends to make decisions by fiat. The algorithm is hidden. The governance is shrouded. The value extraction is to a small number of people. Um, You know, he was once asked, um, you know, what would you what what would you do if um, if you felt like Facebook was was, you know, poisoning the public debate? And he just said, well, I changed the product. You know, his instinct wasn't, I'll deal with the people and engage with them and work out what's going on. It's like, I'll shift the algorithm to get better outcomes. So I think one of the things we all need to think about as leaders, especially in the nonprofit sector, is are we combining kind of new power models, our capacity to do this work with new power values where you really are making more people more powerful? And I think that's probably a good note to close on, that one of the jobs of our sector, I think, and whatever your cause is in the world, our job is is to make uh, make all of these causes not leaderless, but leaderful. That's a really nice phrase that, that the founders of Black Lives Matter use. They talk about their work, which is they're making this shift from like the 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 kind of the the legendary CEO who's kind of like this titan atop a movement and everyone follows him or her, usually him. Um, the, the route forward now isn't these kind of leader-less movements, but leader-full movements where you create spaces where so many people can feel a little bit more of that sense of agency and belonging that people are thirsting for. And, and I think if we get new power right, uh, that's the place our institutions will end up. And certainly that's the, the, the book is all about how you think about uh, your own work from spreading ideas to, to leadership, to workplace, to transitioning your organization. These are the new power skills that anyone can learn, and those who learn them are going to take a big step ahead. Well, I, I am so excited with all of the concepts and how this is moving forward, and I'm thrilled to continue to be, to follow these conversations. But um, why don't I ask you to um, just let listeners know how is the best way they can join into their thoughts on on new power versus old power and what Giving Tuesday has meant to them? Well, I think so. First, I obviously it's called it's called New Power. It's on Amazon or your local favorite independent bookstore or wherever you like. There's also the website, which is thisisnewpower.com, where you'll find a bunch of tools and the quiz you just mentioned. And I'm on Twitter at, at Henry Timms, Henry T-I-M-M-S. And I will just quickly add into that, uh, that for those of us that like these um, options for individuals, of course, there's a Kindle option. There's an audio option, which is really how I consume most of my books now. And that's so exciting to be able to say, however you, uh, individual person, want to um, participate in learning these ideas, you've got choices, which is fantastic. You can get the the paper book at your local bookseller. You can get the Kindle version right now. You can download the audio version. Choices for people, uh, I think, is another great um, note to end this on. So with that said, uh, Henry Tim, CEO of the 92nd Street Y, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.